We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in the fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com, Zone Coverage Podcast Network. It is Monday, October 14th, and I'm joined in studio today by John Krasinski of The Athletic. We were just um, wined and dined by the <laughs> Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, Concession stand renovation. I don't know what's the what's their proper terminology there. Uh, yeah, I think they're just uh, they're what, elevating the food and beverage experience. Yes. at Target Center, right? Hey, you know what? Like we were joking about the the classic kind of cliches of like media getting the free yeah. meals all the time before this, but the food was legit, really good. Like, yeah, actually, I mean, and I remember back in the day, like coming to Timberwolves games, oh, like as a kid, and it was garbage, garbage. Yes. Like, like a hot dog was wasn't even safe. No, there, there was there was no options. So, regardless of what transpires on the floor this year, the food will be good. The food, the food. Uh, we can uh, we can report that news right now for sure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, no, I wanted to have uh, have John on the show here sometime before the season started, just to you know kind of plant our flag and where we think things are going into what is going to be a a sea change of sorts of of seasons here. Um, but the the story you wrote um, at the athletic this past week um, highlighted just a kind of character I think in this new this new shift that I think is very interesting in Sashin Gupta, who maybe a more casual fan would only know as the trade machine guy. Mm-hmm. And I think you did a good job of kind of uh, peeling back who who Sashin is, who is in in my interactions has been an awesome guy. And I think you captured that and from from quotes from all those guys. But he's if this is gonna work. Like big picture, everything. This is going to work. It's going to require Sashin kind of 
coming through and making this making this happen, obviously in tandem with the, the rest of the front office. But when you are in such a position that Gerson Rosas inherited in a suboptimal market, difficult books, like, as he said, you got to work differently. And, and Sashin seems to be the guy who can bring that. Yeah, he's, uh, you know, he, I think within the league, people know him as, you know, this deal maker, um, the human trade machine, really, right. and just the way that he thinks about things and comes up with different creative ideas to exploit uh, the margins. And right. this is a team right now that needs to exploit the margins because there's just not much room to work otherwise with Teague and with Wiggins and Towns and like all of these contracts that they have, Gorgie, that they have on the books, it's clogged. And But it's even more than, like, and you hit this right at the beginning of the story where you were like, it's that, sure. But all of those problems are temporary, mm-hmm. right? Right. Like, it's a, they're going to have the chance to make their own free agent decisions in the future. But the, at the beginning, you said it's how do you, how do you build a sustainable model of success in a market that spends five months a year, mm-hmm. you know, crushed by ice and snow. And it hasn't been a, hasn't been a franchise that has traditionally kind of had any sort of su- success here, quite the opposite. So that, that is really what that increases the margins is kind of the way I take it. Yeah, I think so. And the, the I mean, the other thing that like he brings to the table and I think some of the people both in Houston and Philly, when he was there, like some of the, the, if there was a criticism of of both of them in the Mori regime, the Hinky regime, it's like they look at players as assets. They don't factor in the emotional part of the thing uh, of the game, the chemistry, and those things. And Sachin told me, and I can't, I don't think it made the story, but um, Sachin said, "Look, I think he did at one point, but he said there is room in a front office that you need sort of a dispassionate, objective." thinker mm-hmm. and you know I, I i get the impression that sachin is going to be one of those people who says who you, when they say he's gonna say why can't we do this yeah. and someone you know maybe a hardcore basketball guy or a coach or something might say oh we can't do that i mean that you, you think about the emotion and, and he's going to bring different ideas to the table that are more coldly rational as he mm-hmm. puts it and that is going to be what it takes to kind of reshape things and to not let those outside forces like weather or the past failures kind of get in their way, I think. Right. And so he needs, you know, he he's going to be looking at it from a totally different perspective of, well, no, this is what we have to do mm-hmm. to make it work. It is, it is so, so funny because he is not a coldly rational like person. In in your he's, super he's, warm, like he's very like, nice. Yeah, but yeah, but it's just kind of that that type of thinking in any sort of mm-hmm. you know business. It, you you need to it's the maximization yeah. and, and and it's figuring out all right. This is this is not only the hole we're in. This is how we get out of it and like and charting out a million different paths for that because I think the conversations I've had with those guys, I don't think it's they think they have any sort of brilliant blueprint there's that no is, pixie dust no yeah. it, it's it's about compounding hundreds of good decisions on top of each other that lead to something that's bigger and i think if we look around at the other teams who have made the leaps and got out of come out of nowhere into being something special i think when you revisionist history kind of go back you're like yeah they made hundreds of good the majority of the decisions were good yeah all the way, you know, all the way up and down. And that's that coldly rational line of thinking of like, hey, that that should be our goal. That seems to not only be emblematic of Sasha 
but Gerson and everybody else in that in the organization. Well, yeah, and I think like the, it's also key. Clearly, what Gerson has done in terms of assembling his front office is varied perspectives. So maybe Sachin is more of the coldly rational one, where Ryan Saunders is clearly more of the right. human side, like the the touchy feely type. Then you have you know. Um, Gianluca Pescucci, who's more of a, a scout. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Joe Branch, who's an agent. Uh, agent. Like they have all of these different perspectives. Robbie Sicca is a is a do- medical doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think that what he's tried to do is get so many different perspectives in the room, and so they can kind of all fire their ideas at each other, mm-hmm. and they all look at each issue from a different angle. Yeah. And so I think that gives them a better chance of arriving at a, a a path forward and a choice or a decision with a, a positive outcome over getting a bunch of people who are like the same mm-hmm. in the room. and Which has been you know, so, I mean, and you can speak this better than I can, that that has been such a piece of the past for yeah. offices, the, the, the identity of the, the other groups, whether, I mean, Tibbs and, and before him, and mm-hmm. even for all the great things that Flip did for him, it was... It was groupthink in a way, right? Correct. Similar, similar-minded, similar background people who, mm-hmm. obviously, they, they did find some success in that. But in a league that's getting only more competitive, in every team's got guys who are now picking at the margins to to figure it out. It's it's a, di- a diversity of perspectives, and I, I think you know if you administer true serum to these guys, would they say, "I'm certain this is gonna all this is gonna work"? Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. I don't think. But they go. But I think what they're certain of is. They are on a path that is leading to something that could work. Right. And and that has not been Timberwolves basketball for the past 15 years. Right. It, yeah. All the way back to McHale. I mean, right. you know, was McHale was surrounded by, you know, a lot of his friends. And um, I think there were certainly debates and they were certainly back and forths. Um, but they all had roots in the same tree. Yeah. And so there's a lot of, hey, you uh, what do you think of this? Yeah, I agree with that because they looked at the game from the same perspective. Sure. Um, you know, David Kahn had all of his issues, but uh, he was kind of surrounded by a very not like-minded because no one is like-minded to David Kahn, but they, but just backgrounds <laughs> that are the same. Yeah. Uh, and Flip, you know, Flip and Milt Newton were very much in lockstep on a lot of things. Tibbs, Layden, Brian Pauga, mm-hmm. all the same people. And and so there wasn't a whole lot of vigorous debate, I don't think. And so I think like the idea with this setup is they want to spur debate and they yeah. want to have conversations and that's where they think the best alternatives will come up around. I mean, Will Weaver in the Sachin story told me that, you know, Sam Hinkie would have him and Will Weaver and Sachin and um, and Will was a, is a scout. Right? He was a, he was like a, he he did some assistant coaching, then he did some personnel yeah. work as well, and then they had Vince Rosman, who's another scout. Um, and they all went in the room and they would just go around the table. Hey, what do you think we should do? What do you yeah. think we should do? And then Sachin would go at the end, and everyone would say, "Well, yeah, obviously that's what we should do. Like, <laughs> we're not going to waste our time anymore. You're going first next right, time, yeah. Sachin." <laughs> so, but but I mean, that's it. I think when you talk to people who have been with Sachin and been around, like a lot of them will say, you know, at first people are looking at him and being like, what does this guy really bring to the table? He kind of sits in the corner and just watches things and, and asks questions and, and that's it. But the more that you spend time around him, 
the more you get an insight into his process of diagramming a problem and pulling at the threads to to kind of simplify it as much as possible. To me, in in the the conversations I've had about him, just you know, I, just kind of shooting the shit about random other like outside of Timberwolves signings and stuff that happened mm-hmm. over the course of the year. It's what sticks out to me in every single every single time we've talked about it is he highlights the other side of yeah. like, okay, this worked, but what of what was the other side of it? What was the negative? Why wouldn't have it worked? Mm-hmm. And I just think that's it's so much that's more, so much more encompassing. And that's probably just a smart way to think about decision making in life mm-hmm. is to, you know, <laughs> take a step back and acknowledge both sides of it. And it's the in again in the beginning of your story, the the rodeo. The rodeo. Yeah. So yeah, give give that story. So he's yeah. he's back. This is like 2006. He's probably like 20 something. Yes. So it's his first year at in Houston, and right. the Houston rodeo is like the big thing that happens in Houston. It's their signature event. It's like Mardi Gras, whatever you want to call it. There's 2.5 million people that go to this thing over 20 days, um, and and so a lot of the Rockets people will go because they all come from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to work for Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie and all those. And um, yeah, because Gerson, Daryl. Hinky and Sachin were all on the staff back then. I mean, this is, yeah. this is like the very this beginning the of the Moore era. This is the days of yeah. the Moore era, yep. And so they all come from all over the place. And so one way to sort of just in, in, imbibe yourself in the culture and kind of get a feel for the region is to right. go to this thing and just experience it and see what the people mm-hmm. like and um, and all that. And there's big concerts and all these uh all these events and things that that kind of gear people up. Well, Sachin went uh, to kind of see what all the fuss was about, and um, one of the signature events of the rodeo is called this crafts, uh, calf scramble, where these teenage kids have to chase these calves around uh, a, an arena floor, and they put a lasso around their heads and then pull them back into this ring like this 50 by 50 ring. And if you get, if you pull the calf into the ring, you get like a gift certificate to buy a calf essentially. So it's a competitive thing. And (laughs) you know, you you watch, if you just Google calf scramble and watch some of the video, I mean, there's these kids that are just pulling on these 200 pound calves and they're dug in and they're not going anywhere. Like they don't, they don't want to move. You have to like lift them up and wrestle them in. And it's, it's this big process. And you know, uh, so Sachin goes and goes to the calf scramble and comes back to the Rockets office the next day. And there's people in there and, Hey, Sachin, how'd you, you know, what'd you think about the, uh, the, the event? And he's like, yeah, yeah. I went to the calf scramble and boy, they're, you know, really interesting. You know, they're fighting these calves and, and the guys are laughing. Oh yeah. Isn't that crazy? You know, kind of thing, like pretty funny, isn't it? And he's like, you know, I just thought that why didn't they go pull them in the opposite direction? that they're supposed to go and then the calves are going to pull against that and going to walk themselves right into the uh right into the ring and there's no problem and like the room fell silent and you know <laughs> these are all these big thinkers right. this is Daryl Morey and Sam Hinkie and yeah. you know all these brain wizards of the NBA and they're kind of like god damn why didn't I think of that like <laughs> yeah that's a good idea Sachin. and so yeah that has nothing to do with basketball but everything to do with how he thinks right. and like how he attacks problems and um and, and really tries to just get to the very heart, the base level conflict that is yeah. in front of them and 
and make it feel like they've run into this problem a million times before, mm-hmm. and that's how they solve it. So, uh, yeah, that's just you know that's the way that that he goes about looking at the world and thinking and thinking and right. and and it for like the really smart people like Ben Falk from Cleaning the Glass and. Yeah, like these guys. When you talk to them, like it's clearly they're operating on another another plane right. from where I'm at. And but to hear them kind of speak in this, you know, rev- reverent tones toward Sachin, it really tells you, you know, what they think of him as as just a thinker and a person and a human being. Right. And and I, honestly, the the human being part has really stood out stood out to me in that in that sort of way. And then, you know, you just kind of go through the history of like well, what Houston did. In, in yeah. his time that I was there and the progression that 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 he made the, that that whole organization I mean credit to Gerson and Daryl and all those guys too but I mean not only does that seem logical but it worked yeah and and and, and like what those guys all say too is like and they offer this up I didn't have to go fishing for it it's like no Sachin was the one like right. the Brent Johnson the scout says you know anything like whatever problem we had we just figured Sachin will fix it like <laughs> and like Sachin you know was kind of the the spearhead of the Harden trade yeah. Sachin did the Sacramento trade in Philly that right. got them rolling towards all those picks and things I mean like he is at the very uh genesis of so many of the real kind of difference making moves that both of those organizations made to kind of get rolling. Well, right, and it's like it, it seems the Philadelphia one tends to have like more of a negative connotation kind of for some of the reasons mm-hmm. you mentioned with the you know it, it didn't it didn't play as well in the in the media at the time there and and all that but as now we've, we've we're pretty far removed from the quote unquote process you look at It's pretty good. It looks pretty damn good like yeah. and uh it, it's I think that's just the, like, the process is on steroids, the idea of trying to find a million different margin things and putting them all in one pile and seeing what that grows into. Mm-hmm. And I, I think with this, and I mean, I think you agree with me, it's not going to be like that here. Obviously, right. they're not going to tank. They're not tearing but, it but down and tanking, yeah. But it's not even going to be like immediate, like, right. like in Philadelphia, they, they tried to make as many decisions as they could because they figured every single decision they'd be 51% right. Yes. You know. And and I think they made too many decisions. Mm-hmm. It just led to too much churn, it led to too much it led to the negative stuff of it. So the vibe I get at least is they still want to make that pile, but they're okay with taking a little bit more time and you know, trying to grow a little bit more linearly. Right. Whereas Philly was like we're going to go real flat and then we're going to spike. That yeah. was the idea. Yeah, and there, so there's two parts of that. It, it, one is the actual, I like the very base idea of the process was sound. Yeah, let's get bad, stockpile assets, get as many bites as the apple as we can, sure. and w- it'll eventually. We think it'll eventually turn into a really good thing, and they are being validated by that right now. But in the realistic, in the real world. It is too much to ask of an ownership group, of a fan base, of a team yes. to go that bad for three seasons. Like mm-hmm. that's too long to do it. You can do it for one, maybe two, but if you have to go a third one. And it just wasn't even effectively spun either. Right. Like, and, and that's what Sachin said to me and I thought was interesting in the piece as well is that he kind of is looking back on his time there and saying – 
you know, I'm very proud of some of the things that we did and I thought we may, had a good process and we had good ideas, but I, I do think that we needed to be a little better at the media side, the relationship building side outside of the basketball operations and team because, um, there, they, they, it was like the hinky regime was very closed off. I mean, it was like Tibbs in that way where you couldn't get in. They were, you know, hard on agents. They were hard on a lot of people around the league. And so the encouraging thing for me is that Sachin had that reflection as he's looking back on that and thinking about maybe how things have to be a little different here. Now, clearly here, Gerson understands there needs to be more outreach. There needs to be more uh, transparency um, with, you know, fans and media and things like that. And that will, that will help smooth over some of the tougher times or at least let people understand yeah, things the a information, bit like in, the information, like what are you doing? I think it took in Philly, it took this and it kind of worked actually where the, you know, the, the diehard Sixers fans. And then, you know, you think about the right to Ricky Sanchez podcast and mm-hmm. like some of those guys, they kind of like explained it, right? They explained it and they got people behind it. And it actually made people ironically fall in love with Robert Covington. Dar- yes. Sorry, I mean, we saw all of them fly out to a game yeah. here in Minneapolis last season. And it's just, it's funny. It's just like these essentially fans, maybe bloggers, whatever, who, who explained it to you. But it was like from, from the front office itself, like Hinky spoke like a stupendously few amount of times yes, over yes. his entire tenure there and just kind of in ways it was tibbsish. Yes, absolutely it was. Right? Like it was okay, you're saying things but I don't know what you're really saying here. Mm-hmm. And I don't think and and Tibbs wasn't this way either. Like he, it wasn't curt or anything right. like that, but in particularly today when I think we have we have we have so much more connection to teams and what all the cliches, social media, all, all this and that, like people are more informed. And if you don't inform them of what, what is actually going on, they're going to, it's the whole, you know, it's the whole painting where if you only see the one quarter of it, you're going to paint it with the rest, the rest of the blank canvas with what's ever in your head. Right. And if you're cynical, you're going to paint a bad picture. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I th- that, that's totally, that's totally what happened in Philly there with them. And it, ca- it caused it. So they had to, cut ties because yep. they were losing the fan base. And I, again, ironically with Tibbs, that's what happened too mm-hmm. is I don't even, I mean, at some point we'll do this whole referendum on the, the Tibbs, the whole Tibbs era. And, and when you do look back at it, there are positives. From oh, it. sure. Like actually a lot and logical, yep. <laughs> like logical moves. And even, I mean, the biggest one I say all the time is last year, the team was kind of good. Mm-hmm. Like post post Jimmy until Tibbs got fired. Yeah, obviously I get why they they fired, but Tibbs wasn't Tibbs, Tibbs was bad at leading the organization. He wasn't a bad basketball coach necessarily. Right. Yeah, that's a hundred percent. I mean, there there was definitely just this uh, penchant or this desire to say, "Hey, everyone else, don't worry about it. Like just." Yeah. I got this. I have it all under control. You don't have to ask questions about it. This is all going to work out. Just watch it happen. And it was with same with Hinky as well. Like, hey, this is a very smart plan that we're on. This is going to work out. We don't have to justify it publicly. But these are public 
entities and they require yeah. the fan base to support them or else it's an entertainment business. Yeah. Or else you're out of a job. And, and I, I can imagine that would be maddening though. Like Tibbs, when, when we're sitting there, you know, I, I thought about that all the time and I'm sitting there and I'm trying to ask a basketball question about what didn't work. Mm-hmm. And he's got to be thinking in his head, who the hell is this guy? Right. Like why do I know? And he does, he knows exponentially more about basketball than right. I do. And and what, what what I don't think he got was it was just important to share what his knowledge was. Right. Because he had the – and same thing with Hinky. And, and to do that – and that's what I'm encouraged with in this in this new group, whether it be Ryan, whether it be – I think that this season there's going to be plenty of things that are going to be difficult and hard. But if a fan wants to connect to the 2019-20 Minnesota Timberwolves – it's going to be easy to do because I think you're going to see them put themselves out there and already uh, Timberwolves.com, all that, what they're doing, mm-hmm. the, the track, the pack stuff, all that. I mean, you're, it's well done and you are learning who they actually are. And sure, you got to maybe take some of it with a grain of salt. They're only high, uh, accentuating the positive. Right. But you're informed. Yes. You're going to be so much more informed this year because of that. And, and you, I, in my opinion, you absolutely need that where we are in today's media entertainment landscape. Yeah, no doubt. And I think one of the mistakes that some people make in those positions is when you or I ask questions, when fans ask questions, they say, they they take it as we are sort of calling them idiots and why are you, you know, mm-hmm. we know more than you, why don't you do it this way? But when what we're really saying is explain it to mm-hmm. us. Like I am asking you this question because I want to know the answer and I want to see right. what it is through your eyes. Now, like I you just let's just take the Tyus Jones example yeah. for right now. Like when they'd made the decision not to uh, match on him, it was easy to get a hold of people to, hey, just explain why you did this. Mm-hmm. And when you have that perspective, yeah. then it just makes things a lot easier to it makes it a lot easier for us to humanize you as a person sure. and and understand that, okay, this is what they are thinking. This makes sense in that. I may not just always agree with every decision you make, but I at least see where you're coming from. I see the logic in your argument. Exactly. With with Hinky, he was so far removed, mm-hmm. it, he took on this persona of a robot, yeah. like this cold, soulless thing, mm-hmm. and so that made it a lot easier for the public at large or to turn on him. Same with Tibbs. Like he was so unwilling to explain his side of the Jimmy situation to do all of these things that it made it easy for people to be like, man, this guy isn't even like a human being. So I'm not going to feel bad about He's not treating me like I'm a human being. Exactly. So So, there's it's human interaction. Yeah. Like, and it is a it is a bummer because I think if if Tibbs, you know, whatever, this rewind three years, and you put someone alongside of him who like balances that out, right? Like that might be a totally different story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the, the the only caveat to that is that Tibbs would have to be okay with yeah ceding Except some right. sort of control, and that's what he didn't. Because like what I've always said about Tibbs, and I'll continue to say this: he is not a bad guy. He's not a He's not this like 
you know, overbearing ogre that you see on the totally. court, like the MFing refs and stuff. With us, never. No, I, I can't, I great. Mean, literally never did yeah. he, was there a question where I felt he snapped at any of us. No, and never. he, like, look, he he met my kids. He couldn't have been nicer to yeah. my wife when, he, when, when I brought them to the Target shopping thing. And, yeah. like, when you get him away from the court and out of the pressure cooker, like, you can have a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell a story about the Vegas Summer League thing, but, like... I mean, he's he's a guy that you can just chill out with and right. talk basketball, and it's fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, in the in the in the season when even when things were really tight, um, he would you could tell he was annoyed sometimes, but never took it out personally on anyone. Never like went behind anyone's back or or anything like that. Uh, so it's not for me like a personal issue at all where he was this. You know, I always say he's not the prison warden from Shawshank. Like he's not that guy. No. Um, but he just did not have a good handle on the public side of the operation. And same with Sam Hinkie's same way. When your when your title has president in it, it's a political office. Yes. Like you have to be able to k- shake hands and kiss babies sometimes, even if you want to hold your nose while doing it. And if you don't want to do that, then you got to recognize that and say, Hey, I'm the coach. Let's put someone up there. That's going to uh, be that guy or that woman and be that, you know, uh, the mover and the shaker. And I'm just going to do my job over here. That would have been okay. But he wanted all that control. And I think, you know, that that was ultimately a a big part of the downfall. It's, it's funny. I the only two coaches I've ever covered are Tibbs and now Ryan. And um, it was always it was always so odd to me. It's you know my first time doing it, and we do the interview with Tibbs, and he's fairly you know the, the media availability. He's fairly robotic in his answers. You don't really get anything. And then particularly it's like a Saturday afternoon practice. Like we'll turn off the cameras, turn off the recorders, and he'll talk to us mm-hmm. for you know, five, ten, fifteen minutes, and and it was informative, mm-hmm. and I would learn what was actually going on there, and. But it was so different than what his mm-hmm. on-camera persona was. And what I've noticed now with Ryan, I mean, there's always an element of, you know, the cameras are on, I'm going to be a little bit different. Sure. But but when, how I talk to Ryan and how I see you talk to Ryan when we're just asking him questions in a media scrum is not that polarizing to how we'll just talk to him if we're walking down the hallway. Normal, right. normal communication. And I think... Um, I think there's value in that. I think that's not obviously for us. It's good. But I I think for in theory, right, like you are the microphone from from Ryan or Tibbs out to the fan base or the the camera is. And again, I just in today, today's world, you got to you got to handle that. And that is is just as much as part of the equation. I don't know if it's just as much. It's certainly part of the equation just as much as X's nose are just as much as the salary cap mm-hmm. is, just as much as scouting is, like, because it's not all about basketball. Mm-hmm. We can make it a lot about basketball, but it's an entertainment business. We were just at a, a lunch mm-hmm. that is a very important part of the Timberwolves organization because they're trying to make a fan experience because they are a business yep. to do it. And I don't know, maybe that, maybe that bothers some people and they would just like the basketball, but we're talking about a, I don't know, multi-million, some, uh, company that's worth over a billion dollars probably yeah for sure yeah it's it's uh 
what you I think the uh, one of the main objectives that you should have in that position is to make yourself and your players and your organization as three dimensional as possible. Mm-hmm. So the the vast majority of people who follow the Timberwolves see them as two dimensional on a screen, mm-hmm. and um, it's a lot easier to judge, to criticize, to uh, give up on a two-dimensional figure. Um, but if there is that extra dimension to it where you see the human element of it, where you can get on some sort of level of understanding with the people uh, in those positions of power, it is a lot easier for the fan to say, all right, I'm going to give this person the benefit of the doubt a little bit longer. I mean, eventually, if you if you lose enough, it doesn't matter. You could be the greatest human being of all time, and you're still going to get fired. Yeah. But it gives you a little bit more rope because you need it to get through the tough times. And especially right now, Gerson and Ryan and Sachin are going to need rope early on because it's going to be a process. A process. Yeah. A, there's going to be bumps in the road. We're seeing it in the preseason. I think we're going to see it in the regular season. There's going to be points where you're like, man, this is not looking good. Or, man, they can't hit the broad side of the barn and and they've lost four in a row. And without total mutiny, like that's the way you do it is by getting people to relate to you. It is funny. We're, you know, going off about how I feel like, oh, getting all this information Mm -hmm. and I – they're they're helping to make us understand. Yet now what are we – we're three preseason games – in <laughs> and I'm struggling. I'm struggling to mm-hmm. to understand it all. Yeah. Like, yeah. Because now it is basketball, right? Mm-hmm. Like they've been telling us all these things that they want to do and these stylistic things, this and that. And it's um now we're actually seeing the, the game be played. And it is, I think for me, it's 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 just so jarring. Yeah. It's so jarringly different. Not in a bad good or bad way. I don't know. I don't know if it's gonna work, but I mean. They might. I actually think they might lead the league in pace. I think they might mm-hmm. actually be the fastest team in the league, and Could that be. is that is so. Yeah. Compared to last year, compared yeah. to, I mean, Jamal Crawford yeah. two years ago, just no, no, Derrick Rose, right? It, it's yeah. Jimmy. It's, I guess I'm. So my, what my excitement from this season comes in is, comes from is going to be able to learn. All right, now you've told me all these things. How is this? How is this now materializing on the floor? What is this blueprint? You've told me what this blueprint is. Now we're going to have some data to apply to the blueprint. And is this going to work? Right. Is this going to be something that does, in fact, empower Carl Anthony Towns? Mm-hmm. And I, obviously that's the goal. But it's going to be it's going to be a process and we're already kind of seeing bumps along the way there. Yeah, I mean, look, they're shooting all the threes in the world right now in the first two games when there was actually defense being played a yeah. little bit on yeah. them. There was not there, a lot of defense it, last it night. It was like 20 20%, <laughs> 25% they're shooting from the floor and and from you, 3, from three. from 3. Yes. Yeah. And they're turning the ball over a lot too because they're playing really fast and they're trying to get it up to the floor and they're making sloppy mistakes. And the other part of it is, is that there's eight new guys on the roster. And the, so there's eight new guys on the roster. There's whatever, six new coaches. And the, uh, the, the guys who are holdovers from last year might as well have been traded because (laughs) this is a totally, totally different approach, right? So no one has any, um, sort of thing to kind of grab onto for familiarity right now. And neither does Ryan. And neither does Ryan. 
Exactly. And so while there is like this sort of plan that they have outlaid, but I think it's a lot of guess and check. I I think so too. There's going to be a lot of throwing the noodles at the wall and seeing what sticks. And, you know, there's going to be adjustments that go through the season and the team, the way that they're playing in February may be fairly different from the way that they're playing in, in October. Now, I do think there are base elements that they just feel are going to be core concepts that they really believe have to be a part of their identity. Whether and what, it are, is, what are those right now, would you it's, say? It sure looks like they want to shoot threes and not mid-range, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It looks like they want to play fast, mm-hmm. um, and it looks like it looks like they're trying to move the ball, Yeah. Where you know, and it's not isolation. Um, defensively, it's a lot harder like for me to... I haven't to kind of it. dive into. I don't. I don't know. I like to um, go into that stuff, and I've watched and rewatched, and I have no opinions. Yeah, it's like hard. It, it's now it's it, been too it, yeah. messy, and that might just be the preseason. Um, I, I was going to say, I was going to see if you had said anything about defense because I agree. Like what I'm, I feel confident in now that I might not have before these games were is that not just fast, like fastest, mm-hmm. not just we're going to shoot more threes. We don't really care who is shooting threes. Like, if it's a good look, Mm -hmm. if it's a good look, they like percentages be damned, bombs away. And I wouldn't have guessed it would have been that much. And then, from I guess a specific like player rotation element of it, is Culver's really surprised me in the way that he's um, been utilized. And I, I don't know, maybe I didn't watch enough of him at Texas Tech and didn't give enough credit to the pull point forward thing, but I went into this this blueprint thinking that's a 2-3 of the future. Mm-hmm. And and whenever I scoffed at whenever anyone was saying, I don't know, man, maybe he's, once Teague's off, maybe he's like the point guard starting next year. And I was like, no way. Mm-hmm. And I, I try not to overact the games that include playing Israel. Right. But like maybe, like honestly, yeah. maybe. And that, that, that changes a lot. That changes a lot of because, and Brit, this is what Britt was has said and written a bunch of times is he's like, all right, you hit, you took a Kogi, success, good good draft yep. pick as as well as you could have with the twenty pick there basically, who plays the same position as Andrew Wiggins, and then you picked Jared Culver, who's also a wing essentially the mm-hmm. same position as Andrew Wiggins, and that inherently puts pressure on the idea of maybe he's moving out mm-hmm. and, and maybe he still is, you know, sure. but obviously Andrews is his own wormhole, but yeah. like you could, if this goes well, we could be talking about a year from now where it is Jared Culver point guard. It is Josh Kogi at the two. It is Andrew Wiggins at the three Covington at the four cat at the five. And that's then not as clouded on the wing as I thought it would. And that was, that was a big question I had in looking beyond this season. Yeah, I think um, he does. He just he really looks comfortable with the ball in his hands, more yeah. comfortable than I expected. Um, and point guard is the hardest position to learn, right? right? I mean, to make that transition from college to the pro. So if you're kind of a sort of point forward, part time point guard in college, are you going to be able to play point guard in the NBA? Like that's you know that seems like to be asking a lot. But there are he looks comfortable doing that now. And then you, you go back to draft night and when they've yeah. traded up, 
And um, Garland goes at five. I'm like, well, here comes Kobe White. Okay, that I mean, they need a point guard. They, right. You know, they got all the, they. This is this is what's got to be. Um, and then they take Jarrett Culver, and I think, and I think right away we were like, okay, so then they're probably trading Culver. Like that's what we thought. Right. Yes. Because there's so many guys. Because there's Wiggins. Because there's a Kogi. Because mm-hmm. there's all this. They had wings already. Yeah, but they. I think they they saw much more potential for him to be a lead playmaker mm-hmm. um and that's why they were so high on him and that's why you know i think i reported that night that they had like that top tier of five guys and then after that would deandre hunter was not in that top yeah. five and after that um it dropped off precipitously to number six on their board and so that's so they saw that potential to for him to be that type of a playmaking guy and yeah if he can be the lead ball handler, um, boy, that changes a lot. Why do you think Kobe White wasn't in that group? I don't know. So you like Kobe? I know we've I, talked about. I, it. Yeah, like I, Kobe I like Kobe White a lot. Um, my, again, we are the people who don't know things. Exactly. Please, <laughs> yes. Like I love Derek Williams. All right. Like <laughs> let's just put that out there. Um, uh, so I liked Kobe White because he played in a system in North Carolina that really just seemed to be translate would translate well to the NBA. He shot the ball from the perimeter. He moved the ball past it, got it up the floor quickly. Just really liked a lot of those things. I think he has good length, even though apparently he has short arms, but um, I think he has good size for it's his guy, position. Yeah. Um, and I just liked to, I liked what I saw when I, when I, you know, when I watched him in terms of a feel of the game, maybe like, it's they don't like Darius Garland can be in theory like a Damian Lillard yes. type point guard, you know, like a dynamic scorer, scorer, yeah, type of way. Whereas, like, maybe Kobe White is a different archetype of point guard that could be successful. But the the archetype that Rosas wants is a scorer, yeah. I think that's I think that's fair, and I also think that Culver, from a defensive standpoint. Mm-hmm. Probably brings a higher upside. Definitely brings a higher upside. And then also, I mean, his work ethic, like intangibles, have been validated since he's been here. They rave about. Yeah, you can't have a how hard he about, works. Yeah, that's that's and yep, yeah. that's when you're starting from scratch essentially, and you're 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 kind of coming into a roster where Wiggins's work ethic is in question, where um, where Cat needs to be like more focused um, that way. I think that having this like just balls to the wall worker as one of your featured pieces, they hope probably rubs off on other people. And, you know, and then, but then finally, I think what separates him from white is white is a true one. Yeah. Whereas maybe Culver has that position flexibility that they want. He can play some one, he can play some two or some three. You can do just so many more different things with him Certainly in different guard, lineups. Guard more people for yeah, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And if you subscribe to the flip line of thinking is your position. You are so you, who you can guard. Right. Yep. So, I mean, that, that it just seems like it gives them more flexibility to do all sorts of different things than Kobe White does, who is just more of a, he is a one, and that's about what you can get out of him. You know what I'm interested in as it pertains to Jarrett off the floor is I just think it's it's interesting that he spent his entire life in Lubbock, Texas. Yeah. You know? And yeah. then, in obviously for anybody, it's going to be a transition to come to Minnesota. Mm-hmm. But as I understand who I understand him to be from the conversations with people I've had or my interactions with him, it's this is going to be a kind of a culture shock. Mm-hmm. 
and not necessarily in a bad way, but you can just going into the locker room after the game last night, you know, and it's it's an NBA locker room afterwards, yeah. and it's that's got to be different, really different for him. And I, I get not I don't have a good or bad opinion on it, but just sitting in there and thinking about it, and it's like I think about myself, you know, if I was for twenty sure. years old, and it's like I, I don't know, I, I grew up in Minnesota, I went to college in Minnesota, and then if you were dropped into living somewhere else with people who are all older and different than yeah. you, because he is different. No doubt. He is different. And that's, I don't know. It's just going to be something I'm going to constantly have in the back of my mind the whole time. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, there's going to be a, an adjustment period for him with that. And like the other thing that is kind of crazy about it is, is he's not only dropped into a new world essentially from where he has spent almost all of his time but he is employed in a literally like killer not literally but like a killer be killed type situation i mean you are going to battle every night against the elite of the elite and they will chew you up and spit you out if there's any sort of hesitation or anything like that so there's a lot kind of that is circling around in his head right now he seems like a low maintenance kind of go with the flow type of a dude. But yeah, I think that can be an incredible challenge to, to navigate. We were talking about the season finale of succession before we came over here and, uh, kind of ends with, uh, Kendall's dad saying, you're not a killer. Yeah. You know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, that works in the NBA too, man. No doubt it does. I want to be top dog. Yeah. Gotta be a killer. And, they got some good pieces in this Timberwolves locker room. Players who, I mean, Cat for sure, Jarrett, who knows? Like, mm. But if this works, one of, if not both of, Cat and Jarrett need to prove to be killers. For sure. And that, I don't know how you coach that. Yeah, that, it'll be interesting because, I mean, that, that was really, like, toss everything else aside – I believe that both Tibbs and Jimmy did not think that either Cat or Andrew right. were of that ilk and had that capability. Yeah. Um, and so that's why they were both down on them for most of the time that they were there. And you can, you know, Tibbs can say all he wants about, you know, saying the right things, but you could tell. Mm-hmm. Like, Tibbs just didn't believe in Cat, like, the way that he believed in Jimmy and Taj and Derek and, and those guys. Like, he just felt that there was a certain mentality that was missing. Now, if you I ask, think he put, he turned in his head, I think very early on, Tibbs flipped the switch of this guy cannot be a 1A. Correct. And yeah. that, you know what? Maybe As, he's right, maybe not. And yeah, there is, Cat is exceptional. But that is, that is worthy of debate. Tibbs messed up by stamping that onto him. Too early. Too early. Yes. Because I, he's cat, cat is now 23. He was yes. 21 when he came. Right. And that is, again, human element of all this. Kids. These guys are kids. Mm-hmm. These guys are kids, and you're not, you are not who you are when you're 20, 21 years old. Correct. There is there's time for that to be defined. And what that definition is, I mean, Giannis, right? Right. That, well, that was a question mark with Giannis mm-hmm. way back then. Mm-hmm. And now we know Giannis is a killer. For sure. And that that element of basketball and team construction 
and all of it because you need you don't need you can't have too many killers right then, then you start cannibalizing each other right yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> that might have happened i don't even order. know that might have happened last year um yeah. but this blueprint whatever this is they need to kind of define the different pieces on the chessboard on the on the floor with how you're going to play schematically mm-hmm. and then you got to find a way to make these personalities work because the successful teams do that golden state right like yep that worked. You defined who your killers were, and then you found your whatever you wanted to find. Clay Thompson is yes, like it's different. Right. But, but that that element, and in basketball, that's so cool to me because I think you feel that in basketball more than you do in any other sport, and yes. it's more it's more important. Maybe it's just less people, but I also think this, the game makes that a thing. Yeah, and it, you know what Cat has always said about this um, is he believe he believes that you can be a really great player and you don't have to be the brooding mm-hmm. asshole. Like, and look, I mean, Jordan was that Kobe was that, you know, I, I think that LeBron early on in his career was probably not that. And then kind of morphed more into it a little bit. Um, but I, I think is he's, I can see a cat parallel there. Sure. Yeah. And, and so, you know, cat has this sort of, goofier side to him that is different fascinating and it's it's really different and so i i you know it he wants to be uh viewed sort of as this renaissance man like he's got interests all over the globe he's got um things that you know that are beyond basketball with him and but at he still brings it on a nightly basis on the court for the most part except you you can push and pull on his defense a little bit but i think from a when the when the game is going cat plays with grit yeah it's when the whistle blows and particularly if it's blown at him mm-hmm. that you can start questioning that yes. stuff because he's complaining or you don't like how he acts behind a camera screen whatever i hear all that when they're playing basketball cat's gritty as hell no doubt i mean he's and he's still young like that yeah. that's why he's been good yes that's why he's 23 his body isn't what it can be all that like the dude can play yeah and he's yeah just like as consistent as there is like can you remember a no. four game stretch where he's not no no it, it doesn't happen it, it feels it, like it, it never happens so yeah so like he says look I, I'm doing all this and I'm actually you know a record setter from, you know, from a young age in terms of like the amount of points he scored and the rebound, all these things are off the charts. And so, but he's not going to be the one that looks at other people in locker rooms and say, listen, get on board with me. Like that's not the way that he leads. So it's just a matter of, will these guys respond to the way that he kind of sets forth? Or does it change? Different, or, yeah, maybe it will change. I, I mean, I don't know. I think probably not. But I go back to the, I was very different when I was 23 versus when I was 26. Like, and, and we've seen that in the NBA too. Like, yeah. not, I mean, Giannis went, the yeah. leap was in like year five, right? Sure. So, and now Kat's going into year five. Wig went into year five last year and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. So some people have it and some people don't. But, um, you know, a couple of things have to happen for that, for the Wolves to get to whatever their ceiling is. Like Kat has to, take that next step and there has to be a sort of a galvanizing of the teammates around him and a following of him. 
however that happens. If they just say, hey, look, we like this guy's goofy personality. We can relate to it. We're on board with it. We got your back. Or if Cat kind of changes his tone a little bit and and adjusts and, and, and demands more and they respond, whatever way that it goes, yeah. that, that's got to happen. Um, Covington's got to stay healthy and Wiggins has to do at least a little something. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, then you can look at a team and squint and maybe see a 40 win right. something or other. But And, and you can you know. look beyond this year. Yeah. Like, I'm not getting too caught in what happens this year, mostly just because it's almost impossible to make the playoffs. Right. When you're this amount of talent, given what the West is. Yeah, no, this year is all about laying the foundation mm-hmm. and having some sort of point to jump off of into next year yeah and yeah and establish that point early mm-hmm. establish that point early and and have your noah vonleys jordan bells jake layman's like be the tertiary pieces and maybe they aren't the tertiary pieces of the future we know how much rosters turn over yeah. in the league even when guys are on multi-year deals no doubt rosters flip yep and in this this roster what they have now <laughs> then on the next good wolves team Probably includes very few players that are currently on this team. Correct. You know, and and that's just the nature. That's just the, the nature of all of this. I do think, like, and again, we were talking about this before. It's like, I don't know where the the interest level is from the fan base for this season, and maybe I'm just a nerd bias, whatever. But I think there's this like three dimensional element of it that's fascinating, even if on the floor you're not maybe not getting a playoff team. You're starting something that could become even better than a playoff team. Like, they're trying to build something that does not have a glass ceiling. And the Tibbs model had a glass ceiling, period. Yep. It just did. That concrete ceiling. (laughs) There's no breaking that. Yeah, but, you you know, like we were talking, so the the, the difficult thing for fans – what you know trying to gear up for this season is that they've been kicked in the teeth so many times before. Oh, I don't blame them, Brent. And that also the core figures of Cat and Wiggins have been here for a long time. So we were talking about how Atlanta, you know, there was excitement around the Hawks last year, even though they were not that good. But it was also fresh and new with Trey Young and Herter and and yeah. um, and all those guys that it was kind of more like what it was when it was Levine Wiggins Towns. Sure. And there was a lot of excitement around mm-hmm. around that group. And they didn't mind necessarily that it wasn't a team that won a lot. I think that fans this year are if they're going to get excited they are separating the last 12 years from this year and saying this is all brand new Mm -hmm. like i want to see what happens here with this group under these set of system with this leadership from rosas and saunders this is all brand new to me and i'm going to look at it through a lens like i'm seeing this all for the first time and then if those people will probably, I'm going to guess, watch how this team plays, um, probably see the effort, the chemistry, see um, the just the stylistic improvements that kind of let, let you believe that they're not bringing a knife to a gunfight every sure. night. And you're going to say, okay, like this is, this is intriguing. This is kind of exciting. I can't wait to see how they tailor the roster to better fit the system. But but it's the ingredients are starting to come together the to, infrastructure. to see something that in a year or two or three could be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But if it, if you're a fan that says, ah, it's the Timberwolves, they always screw things up. Yeah. Well, then, yeah, then there's not going to be any reason to tune in for sure. He's John Krasinski, John Krasinski of The Athletic. Um, you can follow the work him and Britt and a whole bunch of NBA uh, writers do there. Thanks for coming on, John. Uh, we'll be around. We'll be talking whatever happens this year a lot. Too much, probably. <laughs> we will always be around each other. That's for sure. That's that's true. John John drove me over here. I was joking. He's my, he's my and he drove me home last night. He's my Uber driver. So we'll be getting um, a bill pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. You can follow John uh, on Twitter at John Krasinski. Um, I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore NBA. We will be back on Thursday with another Timberwolves game. They'll have actually played an NBA team, so it might be <laughs> a little bit more uh, interesting. Indiana's on Tuesday. Uh, so, so check that out and uh, stay tuned. We'll keep coming with these pods Mondays and Thursdays. And like I've been mentioning at the end of these shows, please, it does help if you do the, uh, the rating and review whole thing there on, on iTunes. And I appreciate the reviews even more because it's, cool it's cool to hear what you guys um, are liking and what uh, of these guests, of what, what are the things that you want to happen over the course here? Because, you know, if it gets lean, <laughs> if it gets lean during the middle of the season, we're going to need to, gonna need to, I don't know. Beef, beef it up a little bit. So, thank you for listening. Again, we'll be back Thursday. Till then, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stops, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you're dancing like nobody else around, yeah. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.